So today I sent you uh, an email this morning, and I said this. No one likes pain, yet we all have experienced it. The pain of rejection, the pain of feeling not good enough, the pain of loss, the pain of lack, of not having enough, the pain of betrayal, and the pain of abandonment. Every single one of us have experienced some level of pain. And maybe you can identify and relate to those. And then I say this, as many of us make decisions like, so after we have those, that painful moments, then we make these declarations, not decisions, declarations. We proclaim these things. I will never, and you fill in the blank, but here's some of the blanks. I will never trust again. I will never love like this again. I will never be in lack. I will never get vulnerable again. I will make sure no one can say anything negative about me, right? So you make these declarations and so on and so forth. Whatever the declaration is that you have made. And it usually has started by pain. Now the interesting thing is Jesus can relate to every painful moment that you've gone and experienced. And today I want to be gentle with you. And, and as we begin to uncover where this pain has originated in your life, it's going to feel tender. And some of you don't want to go there, and I'm going to encourage you today to go there. The interesting thing is, is the enemy has used the pain of our life to put bondage in our life and trap us. And, and if you've walked with that pain long enough, or if you've, you've put the barriers around certain aspects of your life, and those declarations that you've made are actual legal agreements that you've made with the enemy, you've realized that the enemy has stolen so much from you. You might be at the place today, though, that you don't even realize that the life, the full life that he promises us in John 10.10, 10, that he's promised us a life in the full. We don't even know what that is. It's because we've been sitting inside the prison walls of our declarations for so long. We don't know what it's like to experience freedom on the other side. But today, we're going to be addressing that, and we are going to talk about this, the three ways to restore what the enemy has stolen. That's today's message. The three ways um, to restore what the enemy has stolen. Jesus himself was betrayed. Jesus himself experienced rejection on, on that days before he was that Palm Sunday, right? It's, it's the change of events. So such quick change of events, riding a donkey into Jerusalem, everybody cheering, waving their palm branches to moments and days later being rejected, being uh, misjudged, feeling abandoned, the pain of all those things. And yet, and yet, Jesus was able to rise above the pain and do the very thing that his father has called him to. If you have your Bibles, let's turn into John chapter 19. We are on this series through the Gospel of John. Next week will be the last. We'll finish John um, on Easter Sunday. But today we are in John chapter 19. John chapter 19, Pilate says some really interesting things. Pilate's the governor, um, that Jesus is going to um, be really judged in that way of, of, of he has the ultimate authority to determine whether Jesus is crucified or not. But let's just read part of John chapter 19 together. It says this, starting in verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. 
um, and a crown, sorry, put a crown of thorns on his head and arrayed him with a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And then Jesus says this really powerful statement. You would have no authority over me at all unless it's been given to you from above. I'm going to pause there because I, I've been captivated all week by Pilate's statement of realizing that he felt like he had authority over Jesus' life. He goes, I have the authority to either release you or to see that you're crucified, to either put you to death or see that you have life. And Jesus says, you don't have authority over me. I've been reflecting about this, and, and I've been thinking about that's what the enemy tricks you to think, that, or even ourselves, our own selves, feel like we, we, have, we have all this authority in ourselves, but really what we have done is, through our pain, we have given authority over to Satan in our life. And, and Satan basically says, don't you know I control that in you? Don't you know that I have authority over life and death in you? And I, I love what, what we read in Revelation that Jesus himself went and stole the keys from Hades, stole the keys from hell to give us life and death. And, and what has happened is, is we transferred over these keys to our life to the enemy, not knowing that we've given him the keys over our life. And the process of this journey to the cross realizes that we have to come face to face with this idea that Jesus actually wants to give us a full life here and now, that he wants us to experience freedom and this full life that he wants to give us. But it, it's going to require us to come face to face with these places of pain in our life that then we've made declarations to say, I will never. I will never. See, Satan is looking for us to turn the keys over to him. And how we do that is, is we usually do it by our words. The scripture tells us that life and death is in the power of, the power of life and death is in our words. And it's so true. I would ask each one of you to, to guard your words because our words have power, power for life or death. And, and, and the enemy knows that. The enemy knows that. And so when we make these declarations... He uses it as a covenantal agreement that now he can entrap us with and say, I can steal that from you because you've made a declaration. The power of your words. Now, here's the interesting thing. This is why this is so important is because you didn't know this. You may not know this. Some of you maybe did, but a lot of us didn't know this. 
And so what's happening is then we go through life, we make a decision to follow Jesus, or maybe you haven't made that decision yet, but you go through life and then you, you bury all those past hurts and pains because like, hey, now we're just a new creation and we're, today's the day we start and you didn't realize that you've actually made some covenantal agreements back through your hurtful, painful moments that the enemy still has authority over your life. And he basically says, no, see, I have the power over you. And the beautiful thing about the cross is it broke his power. But we have to agree and we have to identify with what the cross has done for us, what Jesus has done on the cross. So here we go. I want to share a story. So when I was... I'm going to share a story of, of my own entrapment, of my own declaration that I've just recently actually come to terms with. So when I was younger, I was a, a very, had a very sensitive heart, and I loved animals deeply. For some reason, I just loved animals. I always thought I could be Mr. Doolittle. That would be awesome. Um, and... And I just, re, I just, there's something about the, the tenderness of, of just caring and nurturing an animal. I, I mean, I had so many different animals. I would find little baby mice that their mother was gone and I'd nurse them back to health. I had little baby bunnies that I nursed back to health when the mother died. I mean, I just, I had a, well, let me tell you about one story. So I had a, each one of my parents gave each one of us kids a sheep. And, and um, this sheep, I love this one sheep and she had twins and in the process of giving birth to the twins, the mother died. And so I had these two little babies, which, which if you've ever um, fed a little baby sheep, is pretty, a lamb, it's so incredible. Their little tail goes, as you're feeding them with a bottle, it's just like, oh, they're just like so happy. It's like a dog wigging his tail, but you know. I mean, it's a little bit hard that you have to ban their tails a little bit. I'm sorry, little baby, I'm going to put a band on your tail so it falls off. But, but anyways, we hadn't banded them yet. The two little guys. Well, one of the little guys all of a sudden got rigor mortis, and he was still alive and breathing, but he got stiff, and I lost him, and that broke my heart. But, so I had a little, a little lamb left, and I named him Jasper. I don't know why I named him Jasper, but he was, he was an amazing little friend. And, and I remember in the morning, I'd go out and he would be in, in the barn in the pen. I'd go, Jasper. And here I am, probably fourth grade at this point, um, fifth grade maybe. Jasper. And then I'd have his bottle all warmed up for him. And he would come running out of the barn, slip underneath the fence and come right to the porch. And I'd give him his bottle. And uh, he was just so amazing. So much so I put a diaper on him and let him in the house. And <laughs> it's like, you can just tell, you know, I was, I was a little attached to little Jasper. Well, one day I, I yelled out for Jasper and Jasper, Jasper, no Jasper, no Jasper. I went searching for him and, and I found him. And unfortunately, a, a coyote had gotten into the pen and yeah, I know, and took Jasper away. But, you know, it's an animal, right? So it's an animal. But I had all these experiences of things that I've loved dearly that then somehow I experienced pain from a death or what have you. And I, I, and I remember consciously thinking when my grandfather died when I was in college that I began to understand how I knew how to guard my heart to not feel. And, and, I, and then a few more other hurtful experiences, and I remember making a declaration to say, I will never give my heart fully over in this way again. What I didn't realize is the power of that word was 
has affected me my entire life. And, and I didn't realize it until recently when I began to allow my heart to open back up again. I'll tell you the rest of that story in a minute of the process of allowing my heart open up again. But when I said I will never fully give my heart over in that way again, it, sh it cut off a part of how God made me to be. And, and what I did is I gave, I changed the authority of, of giving God permission to heal my heart to, I gave the, the permission now to the enemy to actually rob something that God intended for me. Each one of us do that. Each one of us do that, right? So you might have grown up poor in, in your house and you make a declaration, I will never have poverty in my house. And what that person does is become a workaholic and so, so driven for money because they made a declaration that the enemy has now saying, guess what? They changed, the, they changed that God is my provider to say, I'm going to be my provider. And when you say, I'm my provider, then, then the enemy will put you in a spin of unhealthy things that you're going to be a workaholic and you're going to work too much and then you're going to have bad, bad life habits and, and then the, the spiral happens and the trap becomes tighter and the noose. And like last week we talked about you become a zoo animal and the, the cage becomes tighter and tighter. And that's what the enemy does. But the reality is what God has intended for us when he says, I want you to live life and life in the full is he's intended for us to experience intimacy in our relationships with others and with him first and foremost. And I believe that, that the enemy knows that, that when we are the most intimate with him and intimate in our relationships, and by the way, intimacy has to do with vulnerability, transparency, openness. I realized that I began to manage my relationships in such a way that says, I will, I will give you so much of my life, but I won't give you all of my life. Because that vulnerability makes me unsure. That vulnerability makes me open to pain. That vulnerability allows something of my heart to open up. And so I got into the habits of learning how to manage my heart to the place where my heart actually turned off in a certain area and I didn't even realize it. And the enemy had stolen my ability to love and be loved in the way that Jesus intended where I can offer and receive deep love that just looked like acceptance and safety in my relationships. See, we turn the keys over to the enemy and we listen to the lie and the lies of like, I don't measure up, you're not good enough. The interesting thing about I don't me I, I'm not good enough or I don't measure up, then all of a sudden you start moving into, uh, into duty. You are driven by guilt that you're not doing enough. And so now all of a sudden you're people pleasing or I've been hurt and I won't make myself vulnerable again and you put up walls and then you have these superficial relationships that we talked about and then you become guarded and you turn off your emotions. But let me tell you that emotions are a gift from the Lord. I, I, I didn't realize that, or if you, depending on what generation you grew up in, you know, you'll have parents like, big boys don't cry. Right, you know, it's like toughen up, like don't feel, don't be tender, don't be soft, and and our culture has has put that um, 
in this wrong place. But, but guess what? Some of these gifts that God has given us is joy and peace and love. Those are emotions that you feel joy, that you feel at peace. You feel deep love. And for me, love looked like this. Love looks like faithfulness. I know how to be faithful. Like I know how to be faithful in a relationship. Love looked like um, I knew how to be steadfast, right? I knew how to just kind of carry on for the long haul. I knew how to do that. But, but what love I didn't understand is what it meant to be, to have somebody know the depths of my heart. To, to open up the parts of my heart that were so tender that I had closed off. But when you realize that the enemy has, has stolen some things, that he's put you in captivity, then you realize what Jesus has done. He says he's set the captives free. And I think sometimes when we talk about sin, sin for me has really come, again, I grew up sin of like, don't do, right? Here's your list of do's. Here's your list of don'ts. And as long as you don't do the bad things, or at least get found out about the bad things, right? <laughs> that somehow that's okay, but... but when, when Jesus took our sin on the cross, what he's doing is he's, he's ensuring that we can keep an intimate relationship with our Father in heaven. Because sin, and we know sin separates, but I guess I didn't realize, I think sin separates because I've done something wrong. No, sin separates is because we haven't been vulnerable with God to say, God, here's what's going on in my life. And that vulnerability that he wants with each other, that's why I think marriage relationships are so beautiful. If you can come to the place of vulnerability, that that is the partner that God's given you to be the most open and most vulnerable with every aspect of your life. And it's a safe place. And so that God offers that us as well. And he comes to like, I just want you to come with me and to share your heart. And he says, confess your sins one to another. And I think well, we're going to get into that. It's one of the parts of experiencing freedom. But when he says confess your sins one another, what he's basically saying is get to the place where you're not going to have these broken relationships that you, you can release those deeper, intimate parts of your life. And that keeps our relationship tight. And it keeps this, this safe relationship. See, God wants to provide safety for us. He wants us to come in and just this full acceptance and I think we don't really understand what that is until we've come to terms with the lies that the enemy's placed over us because I don't even know. I know for my life, I didn't, I didn't realize that he wants to love me in that way because I didn't know how to love in that way. You play it forward of, of the initial trap and it starts with originating to the pain and then we make a declaration and then because of that declaration, it gives him authority over our life. And then we start living out of fear. <clears throat> we start living out of insecurity. We start living out of inadequacy. And by the way, insecurity then flips itself onto control. People feel insecure, they actually control. And they were driven by even the unhealthy side of either you know, this, this feeling of lack, so you got to succeed, or this feeling of not good enough, and then you go into hyper-success, or you're not measuring up, and so you got to be dutiful. And then we're driven by something, not out of a pure relationship that the Lord has for us, but we're driven out of an angst of insufficiency, and we're not living a full life. And this can go on for years and we don't realize what's been stolen from us and the captivity we're in. 
And then these feelings lead us to greater destructive behaviors because if we don't feel adequate, then we try to find all the wrong places to feel adequate. And we feel anxious and then we have to, have to self-medicate our anxiety. And the root of it goes all the way back to a hurt that created a declaration where you declared to say, I will never. And then at the core of all of this, we just want to know that we are loved, that we're accepted, even with our brokenness. And we long for these deep relationships. We just want to be, have a feeling of safety and security. But in Revelations 1.18, when Jesus says he, he went into hell, he went into Hades and stole the key, what that means to us is that the enemy does not have authority over us, that Jesus has the authority. See, Pilate thought he had the authority over Jesus. No, I'm willingly going to the cross. Even though I've faced all this rejection and pain of all of this, and I believe he felt that as fully God and fully man. He felt it, but he didn't get ruled by it. He submitted himself to this process, and he went to the cross, and he stole the keys back from the enemy to give us the ability to have free life, full life, freedom. So I'm going to show you how to take back what the enemy has stolen. You ready? Because I'm tired of the enemy stealing from us. Number one, if you're taking notes or if you got your phone, go to your notes sections on your phone. You got to know this because you're going to have to review. This is not a one and done. This is not a one and done today. This is the beginning of the journey. But first and foremost, you have to identify the lie. Identify the lie. What did you believe that then you, that made you declare I will never, or I will, or I, like you made a declaration. What was the lie? Identify the lie. See, the, the lie has power because you've given it life by your words. That's why it has power. You've given the enemy freedom to make it come alive by the words you have declared so the why that's important is you've got to trace back to those things that you've said and it's rooted around pain. So go around and look back in your life and find the pain point and then find a declaration that you said from that pain. And then you've got to bring it. You've got to identify that declaration and, and realize, identify the lie. Because you believed a lie is, is, and my lie was, you know, you can't feel that deep because that deep, Deepness that you feel only brings what I interpreted as pain. I've had a new revelation I'm going to share with you about that. But, but what I interpret as deep pain, and I don't want pain in my life, so therefore if I don't love that deeply, then I won't experience pain. And if I put a shield around it, then somehow I can manage life and I don't have to, be, I don't have to feel those ways. And so I've declared I will never love in that way again. And that gave life to a lie that I can't love that way again. Number two. Next is you have to confess the lie. When the Bible says confess your sins to God and to one another, what we're doing is we're making a choice to bring it to the light. And when you bring it to the light, it starts to lose its power. And when we go confession is really about repentance. You have to identify that what you spoke was a lie. 
or what the enemy has tricked you on is a lie. You have to identify what it is that says, you know, I made a wrong agreement. I made a wrong confession. I made a wrong declaration. And so what you do is you go to that place and you come and you bring it before the Lord. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to confess it to another person, although sometimes it is. And, and find a trusted brother or sister and make sure it's the appropriate relationship and, and make sure that you're the safe person to share that stuff with. But I definitely bring it to the Lord first and foremost and say, you know what? I've realized I've made a wrong declaration, a wrong confession. And, and so I'm bringing this to, to you before, um, Lord, and I'm repenting of this. So James 5.16, that's where it says, confess your sins to one another so you will be healed. Interestingly, that he wa- confession is linked to healing. And the healing for me was to have my heart healed. And I didn't even realize the areas of my heart that were still um, cloaked and numb to the things that God really wanted to bring me to and to to experience this level of intimacy with him and with others. So the first one is identify the lie. The second one is confess the lie. And the third one is die to the lie. Can you all say that? Die to the lie. Now this is really important because you are, this is where we're going to move into communion is we realize that we have, have to make a choice to not only repent and bring it to the light, but we've got to make sure that it, it, it goes to the cross and experiences a crucifixion. That we have to die to the lie. In other words, we no longer give it any life. has no more power because it's got to die in our life. And this is the interesting thing because this is, it can be one and done, but my experience is not one and done. This is where that memory, because you've had, you've lived, some of you guys, with this for a long time. And you have habits that are built around this, this way of thinking and living, and it's going to require you to keep bringing it back to the cross. When it wants to come back alive, you've got to keep bringing it to the cross and let it be crucified. And Jesus has the power to do it. This is why we have to give it to Jesus. Time and time again, you have to give it to Jesus. Say, Jesus, you went to the cross for this and you died on the cross for this. And it is crucified with you. I do think is I've had this greater thought of when he says, pick up your cross and follow me. I just like, okay, live a sacrificial life, learn to die to yourself. But I really think it's this. I think it's we, we bring the lies of the enemy. Why did Jesus go steal the keys? Because the enemy is constantly trying to entrap us and ensnare us. And Jesus' final act on the cross broke the power that Satan has in our lives. But we've got to come into agreement with the power that Jesus has given us through the cross. You have the ability to have those, those lies broken in your life by bringing it to the cross, but it's going to be a daily choice. Your mind is going to want to go back into that stinking thinking, right? Your mind is going to want to go back into those places of, of the narrative, I'm not good enough. I will never love this way. I, I, I need to measure up. I'll never be in lack. I need, to, I, I need to succeed. I need whatever your narrative was. And then you realize what that lie has done for you. It's, it's robbed you of the full life that Jesus has wanted to give you. 
You see, this scripture now is making more sense to me that says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground, dies and falls to the ground, it can't produce a multiple amount of fruit. Or in other words, you know, if you plant a seed, it's going to actually produce a greater harvest. And he says, there's something in us that has to be willing to die for new life to take place. And I think the death is the things, the, the, the wrong agreements that we've made to the wrong person. And it's rooted, in, and by the way, nobody's ever purposely done it. It's just the enemy has been so crafty for so many years. He knows how to ensnare us. And so today I'm sharing with you how his plan. I'm sharing with you how he's entrapped all of us. And today we're going to take this journey of walking out of it. And to conclude by, by this, this story of my, my own journey. So... This is where I'm going to have to get through <laughs> and not get too emotional here. But. So this story you already know, because I've already shared this with you. You know, my hurtful church experiences and, and, um, and how a few weeks ago, I had, well, probably three weeks ago, I had a great revelation of, of looking at a growing church and my, my, my challenges with a growing church and realizing that, you know, I was looking at the church from my hurtful eyes of like, I don't want a bigger church because, you know, you just like, it turns into this beast, you know, feed the beast and, and like, and again, we went through this. So if you weren't in the service, know that you're not the beast, right? It's like, <laughs> none of that. It was just my own hurt, right? It's like a growing church, more complexities. And then Jesus kind of refreshed me into saying, but, but actually, why would you be concerned about my bride becoming more radiant? You know, his, 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 bride becoming more beautiful, more radiant, growing, and more influence for the kingdom. And so I had, that was my first heart change of becoming more vulnerable. To say, God, I've been looking at this from a lens of hurt. And I made, I made agreements, and I probably made an agreement that says, I don't ever want to see a big church again. I'm just, by the way, just re re realizing this now. I mean, he's brought me through the, the healing part of it. Because I'm excited to see a growing church, a radiant bride. The next one's a little bit more, more uh, tender for me. So a couple weeks ago, um, I know you're not thinking it's going to be a big deal when I tell you the story, but it's tender to me. So if you're like, what's his problem <laughs> when I tell you the story? <laughs> Okay, thank you. See, they, they say this because they know, they know this is what will get me out of my, my moment. So thank you. It did. It worked. Okay. So um, a few weeks ago, my, we had to put our dog down. He's a great friend for tw almost 12 years. And I knew this day would come and he had gotten sick. I knew he was going to die. I remember making the choice because remember I'm the animal lover. 
of saying, am I going to feel this or am I going to guard my heart and move on? God had already been working on my heart to tenderize it. And I remember at that moment, I said, I'm going to choose to feel. I'm going to choose to allow my heart to be opened fully up. Thank you. So I felt great pain because I allowed my heart to feel deeply. But the revelation that I got, instead of pain being a bad thing, the pain was a reflection of my love, the depths of my love. See, the enemy wants to create pain in your life and then we misinterpret that. See, God gave us a reason to feel. He gave us emotions. And we misinterpret them because they're difficult emotions sometimes, but they're God-given emotions. And some of you have never had a dog who comes, becomes one of your best friends. You don't relate to the story. That's where you get like, wow, he, got, he was really sensitive about that. <laughs> Um, but if you've had a lifelong family pet, you know how hard it is to say goodbye. But the story for me, though, was, is when I made an agreement to love that deeply again, it changed my world. I felt things I hadn't felt since I was a kid. tenderness, the depths of care and love was overwhelming. But I had to identify the lie. I had to confess by exposing that I had guarded my heart for too long. And I had made agreements to say, I will never love that way again. And I had to break the power of that in my life. I had to die to the lie. But as I did, I turned the keys over to Jesus. And I'm excited to find deep, meaningful intimacy with my Father in heaven and my relationships. And who would think it would take a dog to do that? <laughs> See, Pilate thought he had power over Jesus, but Jesus knew that he had no power. Satan thinks he has power over your life, but the reality is he has no power as long as you can break the lie that, and the power that he's made over your words that you've spoken. So if you have your communion cups, we're going to do a little something together. If you haven't gotten communion, just raise your hand. If you don't have a cup, raise your hand, and we have ushers who will get those for you.
By the way, thank you for allowing me to be sensitive with you. I, I appreciate your willingness to be on this journey. But I, I share these things with you because I want you to understand that the freedom that you guys can experience as well. So as we take communion together, realize that communion is a remembrance of what Jesus has done. So this Good Friday is when we would celebrate that Jesus was crucified. This Palm Sunday is the week leading up to it, and you'll get those devotions sent to you. And we come to this place of acknowledging Jesus' work on the cross. He conquered sin and death on that day when he purposefully and willfully went to the cross thinking about you and I. He was concerned that the enemy would put you in bondage and would create separation to the most meaningful and longing longings of your heart to be connected with your creator and be connected with deep, meaningful relationships with one another. See, love God and love each other takes on a new meaning for me today. It's not just a faithful relationship. It's not a dutiful relationship. It is a, it's an intimate relationship where it's okay to be vulnerable. Where you trust somebody so completely, even with the ugly parts of your life, because they have no power over us. So today, would you be willing to go on a journey with me as we take communion together? I'm just going to ask you to do it on your own time. We're going to start with the bread and we'll end with the, the juice. But what I'm asking you to do is just take a few moments as the music is playing quietly behind us. And think about a painful moment. And think about maybe if you made, not always, but maybe you made a declaration that really was rooted in a lie that you're going to identify it. You're going to confess it to the Lord. God, I made this lie. I said these words. It's not true. It's not true. And I repent. And then you're willing to, to, to kind of mentally saying, you know what, I'm taking those things in my life that become, have been fed by the narrative, that have given power and life to the wrong thinking. And I'm bringing it to the cross and Jesus, I am nailing it to the cross so I can experience truth. I experience freedom. I experience this full life that you have promised. So we just take a few moments when you're ready. Reflect on that. Consider those three things. Identify the lie. What words did you speak? What declarations did you make? Confess the lie. Repent of it. And give it to Jesus on the cross. Let it no longer have power in your life. Let it be nailed to the cross. Let it experience a crucifixion that it needs to take place to restore the right relationships, to restore intimacy with God and with one another.
When you're ready, you can take that bread. body that was beaten, his blood that was shed for us gives us freedom. Gives us new life. Breaks the power of sin which is the wrong agreements that we have made, the wrong declarations we have made. And gives us a fullness that we never thought possible an intimacy, a knowing that you never thought possible that makes you feel so loved, secure, wanted, safety, acceptance. You can take your drink, the juice, representing Jesus' blood shed for you. Father, you have been so good to us. I've been thinking about this all week, that it's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. It's been so kind to us that you've been willing to gently break over, off the calluses of my heart They've been allowing to identify the, the pain that is cloaked those areas that you want me to, to feel. Father, for each one here today that has made those commitments, Lord, I pray a protection over them. The enemy does not want to see them free, but Lord, as they have nailed that to the cross, as they will probably need to do that on a daily basis for months, to come into agreement of the newness that you would have for them. Give them the courage to keep turning it over. Let not the enemy reaffirm the lie that they've been living. Thank you, Jesus, for the work on the cross as we get ready to celebrate your resurrection next week. I pray blessing over each person here today. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you so much for watching us online. We're so glad that you joined us. We trust that Jesus has spoken to your heart and you've been challenged by his word. If you'd like to know more information about Grace Capital Church, please visit us at gccnh.com. We'll see you next time.